Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us to come aside and rest, to fellowship with one another, to sit in your word and spirit, and to be refreshed and strengthened for our journey. Uh, Guide us in this time, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So, young people, this is your opportunity to vacate And not so young people, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It's a well-known passage that we're going to look at this morning. So, could someone go ahead and read for me Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through Salt and light. So again, the audience for the Sermon on the Mount is not the mass of people who are gathered there on the mountainside. The audience is the disciples. Matthew and Luke Uh, particularly make it very explicit that Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says these things. And that becomes important, uh, we'll we'll look at in just a minute, for how we understand this passage, uh, the the application of the passage. But the first thing that kind of struck me, so I am not a proficient gardener, uh, I always thought that salt was a thing that killed plants. Uh, and so I looked it up, and apparently salt does not necessarily kill plants. Uh, table salt does, but kosher salt, uh, rock salt, is actually a very important fertilizer. Uh, it nourishes the plants, and those of you who are gardeners may have already known that. For me, it was something that I was not aware of. I always think of salt of the earth making the earth unproductive. Uh, But actually, salt, in the appropriate amount, nourishes the plants and uh, enriches the earth. And Bonhoeffer makes a point here, uh, which I think is, is accurate, both with salt and light. What does Jesus say about his disciples in relationship to salt and light? Those who respond to the master's call. 
those who are Jesus' followers. That's what a disciple is. Jesus has called, we follow, and this is his instructions to us. We'll get into that in just a second, because that is, uh, hang on to that. <laughs> well, you got to. We'll get there. <laughs> but first, what does Jesus say regarding the disciples and their relationship both to salt and light? You are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light. Not you should be. Not you might be. (laughs) Not you have the salt. You have the light. But you are the salt. You are the light. And so your and my only choice, the only decision that is in front of us, is whether or not we are going to be true salt or flavorless salt. Whether or not we're going to be true light or whether we're going to be light that is hidden under a bushel. And so whether we think that we are a witness to the world or not, is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is, we are a witness to the world. I witness to the gospel every moment of every day. And that is something that Christ is calling us to be very, very mindful of. In, in every interaction that I have, in every, you know, going to the grocery store, I am communicating the gospel simply by the way that I speak to the people that I encounter in the grocery store. My neighbors, they see me out in my backyard mowing my grass, playing with my dog, whatever. It doesn't feel like a witness on my part. I'm just doing my thing. But it is. It is a witness. And that's something that I think uh, we, we can gloss over a little bit. And, and Bonhoeffer's point is, it's the total existence of the disciple. Now, this is where... We come back when you ask, you know, are we speaking specifically about the twelve? Um, Calvin and, and Bonhoeffer takes, uh, takes issue with Reformation theology on this point. And, uh, Calvin states that these are the apostles that are being addressed. And so the salt and the light is the apostolic proclamation of the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. And it's specifically the apostles that are called to be salt and light. And and so Bonhoeffer says that's wrong. Uh, It's all disciples. It is all of Christ's followers. And it is their entire existence, not simply the proclamation, uh, not simply the gospel message, but rather every single one of us in our 
totality are salt and light. Uh, And then we go on to the warning. The warning is if the salt loses its savor. uh, Or if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And this is a rhetorical question. The, the, The purpose of salt is both a cleansing agent and a preservative agent. And anything can be cleansed, anything can be preserved with salt. Um, From a certain region of the country where our greatest, loveliest breakfast ever is uh, country ham. (laughs) And if you've ever eaten country ham... (laughs) you can feel your blood pressure rise by the second bite. (laughs) It's a ham that has been absolutely caked in salt. And it's been hung up to to dry, and it cures, and the salt cures the ham and produces that distinct flavor. But when salt is no longer good, what are you going to restore salt with? Nothing. (laughs) There's not a thing in the world that can restore salt. Once salt has gone bad, salt is done. Salt can restore other things, but nothing can restore salt. Uh, And so, just as an aside, one of the uh, commentators on this passage says that in the the temple... uh, when salt was no longer good, one of the things that they would do is they would scatter it on the steps of the temple so that the priests and the worshipers wouldn't slip. Same way we put salt on our driveways or on our sidewalks uh, when there's snow or ice coming. Uh, and, and so this image of the salt is good for nothing but to be trod underfoot is a common image. People understood that. They knew about walking on salt because they did it all the time when they went up to the temple. They, they walked on the salt so that they wouldn't slip on the, on the steps going up. But it's everything else can be saved by salt. However bad it has gone, only salt, which loses its savor, has no hope of recovery. And so what that means, if we, if we circle back to... His statement, you are the salt. And and this is what Bonhoeffer says. It's a quote from Bonhoeffer. The call of Jesus Christ means either we are the salt of the earth or else we are annihilated. Annihilated. We're destroyed. We're wiped out. We're either the salt of the earth or we're, we're washed away. We're done with. We're no good. It's, it's one of those two. Either we follow the call of Jesus Christ or we are crushed beneath it. There is no question of a second chance. Once we have given up that intentionality of my entire life being given as a testimony to God, given over to God, being a witness to God, once I've stepped back from that commitment. There is no option of me 
somehow recovering. Uh, I've already made that decision. And, and I would say uh, that this is what the writer of the Hebrews is, is warning against. When the writer of the Hebrews says, do not turn back. Once you have spurned uh, the gospel, there, what, what is left? There, there's nothing more for you. Once you have decided, this is not good enough for me, I'm bored with this, the, the call is too much, the price is too high, etc., etc., the writer of the Hebrews says, when you turn back, you're done. And that's what Christ is saying here. When you have lost your taste, when you have lost that, that, that uh, essence of what salt is, when you've lost that, when you've turned away from that, there is no coming back from that. Uh, the, the church loses its witness, the disciple of Christ loses his witness. And in the same way, you are the light. Uh, the, the light this is, this is where I think life gets complicated. <laughs> you are the light. We, human beings in general, and possibly Christians more, uh, more focusedly, have a tendency to want to tell other people how to live. We, we have a tendency to want to give people our wisdom. We have, a, we have a tendency to want to tell people, you should, you know, do this, you should do that, you should do the other thing. And we run into the danger of saying, or of thinking, that it's our light that should guide other people. It's my wisdom. Here's how you should engage the world. This is my wisdom, and this is how you should do it. The light is a consequence of the call of Jesus. And, and we've got to... We've got to maintain that. Because if our light is a response to the call of Jesus, then the only thing that we are going to shine into the world is the character of Jesus, is the wisdom of Jesus, is the words of Jesus. That's what the light is. It's not my wisdom. It's not my understanding of, of what you ought to do and how you ought to do it. Um, and again, Bonhoeffer makes the point of saying, Jesus does not say you have the light. And this is where he takes issue with John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin says this is the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and Bonhoeffer says, no, that would be you have the light. Therefore, let that light shine. That's the gospel being proclaimed. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you are the light. Not you should be the light, not you have the light, but you are the light. And Bonhoeffer goes on to say, and this is, I think, a great point that he makes. 
He says, this is not to say that the disciples now have to make their first decision. Do you get that? The decision is not, am I going to be the light? The decision is not, am I going to be the salt? The only decision the disciple ever makes is, am I going to obey the call? Am I going to respond to the call of Christ? And once that decision has been made, once you and I have said, I will follow my master, Jesus Christ. That's the only decision. Everything else is simply living in consistent obedience to what our master tells us to do. And so Bonhoeffer says, this is not to say that the disciples have now to make their first decision. The only necessary decision has already been made. Now, they must be what they really are. Otherwise, they are not followers of Jesus. And that's a little scary. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit intimidating, I think. It certainly is for me. Uh, the only decision that I have ever had to make was, will I give up? Will I, will I place myself in Christ's hands? That's the only decision. Everything else is simply a living out of what Christ has made me. And he has made me salt. He has made me light. And the call of the disciple is to simply live out what Jesus has made me. And we do it by faith. Amen. And then that the next phrase uh, with the light, uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it on, under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And that... Sorry, uh, my, uh, my translation is the English Standard Version. My head is the King James Version. <laughs> I, I just always, this passage always comes. But I don't know how many of you, uh, you know, grew up in Sunday school and, you know, that little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Bonhoeffer is saying, Bonhoeffer says, and, and I think he's, he's correct in uh, saying this is what Jesus Christ is saying. Bonhoeffer says, fleeing into the invisible is a denial of the call. That, that basket that we would hide our light under, if we're going to pull away from society, if we're going to be completely removed, either the monastic attitude or the attitude that we as Christians are just going to hunker down in our own little community and we're not going to engage uh, with the world around us, all of that, first off, it cannot be done. 
uh, even if you are hunkering down in a community. I mean, if, if you want to talk about the most uh, obvious example of people who hunker down into a community removed from the world, I would think the Amish would be right there at the top of the list. And yet, how many of us know who the Amish are? Does that word, is that a new word for anyone in this room? Amish. No, we all know who the Amish are. Uh, as much as they seek to withdraw <laughs> from the world, everybody knows who the Amish are. And everybody knows why they're, they're doing their thing. So even in that monastic retreat, there's still a proclamation. There's still a light. There, there's still... Uh, an awareness of, of the call of Christ and the way that it shapes our lives. Now, at this point, Bonhoeffer specifically... So, so he talks about some ways in which the church fails in this. And, and one of the ways is by seeking... Uh, it, it's interesting because this is a word that was uh, super popular about 10 years ago missional, uh, people being missional, uh, was, was, a, was a big thing in, in church growth and, and cultural engagement and all that. And Bonhoeffer actually uses that word in here. Uh, he said, but he says, for the sake of being missional, the church ends up just being interested in social welfare. Uh, the church just ends up wanting to be a bunch of nice people. And, and make people's lives better. And he says that's not, the, the, the call of discipleship is a live or die call. It, it's choose you this day. Will you serve death or will you serve life? It's a, it's a call that confronts. It's a call that cuts. It's a call that separates. It's not a call that is gentle and kind and just says, just be a nice person and love everybody. Now, Bonhoeffer then goes on to say, this is his complaint about Reformed theology. He says that Reformed theology tends to say the church should be invisible. Uh, we, we should just not really engage the world. I think what Bonhoeffer is getting at when he, when he says Reformed theology tends towards this invisible thing, Bonhoeffer really has a problem with the distinction between the city of God and the city of man, uh, which is... It's Pauline theology, it's Augustinian theology, it's uh, Reformed theology, it's Southern Presbyterian theology. Uh, the, the idea when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, uh, this, this kingdom of man is a temporary structure, and it is not the kingdom of God. And, and Bonhoeffer doesn't like that distinction. Uh, he, he thinks that that distinction 
serves as an excuse for us just to dwell in our own little city and not have any influence on the city of man. Uh, and so he's got a real problem uh, with Reformed theology in that context. Now, I think he's wrong. Uh, I, I think he's wrong on this because I think here, in, in my mind at least, uh, and, and this, is, uh, this is informed by a lot of other theologians, and I can lead you down that whole rabbit trail if you want, but the difference is whether or not our purpose is to impact the city of man, or whether that is the fruit of the gospel. And so, let me give you an example. Does anybody here remember blue laws? So, blue laws were laws that were passed that said you can't have certain businesses open on the Lord's Day. And uh, it, it started out just businesses need to be closed on the Lord's Day, and then they made an exception for pharmacies because people might, might need medication on the Lord's Day. And so they, they opened it up to pharmacies, and you know they, they began to relax blue laws slowly, slowly, slowly. But I remember in the 1980s, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was still uh, in the 1980s, I remember going into a 7-Eleven, on a Sunday morning, and there was a metal bar across the cooler where the beer was sold. You could not purchase beer on Sunday. Uh, and that was a remnant of these blue laws that, that used to cover everything, uh, all kinds of commerce on the Lord's Day. Now, here's the question. Is enacting blue laws, is, is, is shutting down commercial business on the Lord's Day, is that going to make us a Christian nation? No. I would, yes, it'll hold back a lot of sin, but, but enacting laws is not going to make us Christian. It's a consensus that comes when the majority of your society is Christian. When the majority of your culture is Protestant, Evangelical, Catholic, Judeo-Christian, when the majority of your culture has this Judeo-Christian foundation, then the majority of your culture, the majority of the citizens in that culture, are going to say, you know what, we shouldn't be going to grocery stores or buying beer or whatever on Sundays. Uh, we, we, we should be shutting these things down because this is living out the gospel. And so the difference is, is our intent to impact the city of man or is the impact a result? And those are two very different things. They look the same on the other side. You know, for, for your European, 
the, the Frenchman who flies in from Paris and flies into Athens, Georgia, and looks around on Sundays and sees everything is closed, your Frenchman is not going to understand this is a result of a Christian society or this is imposing a Christian society. They're not going to understand the difference between those two things because they're simply going to see the result. But I think that distinction is a critical one. Uh, if, if our job as the church is to be the light, then the impact of us being the light is going to have influence. It's going to have impact in other areas. And well, and and I would say, rightly, I mean, so whenever anybody says I want to go back to the way things were, I want to go back to the good old days. Uh, one of my questions is, uh, do you want to be black? Uh, <laughs> because I'm not sure uh, that our African American brothers and sisters uh, were were uh, treated very well uh, under previous generations. But there is a consensus uh, that that does reflect in our laws. Yes, and uh, and I think also you know your your point of the ACLU and unions getting behind it in order to give service workers a break is an example of everything that we do becomes complicated and gray <laughs> every time we try to uh, yeah so so let me let me uh, speed forward because I'm already five minutes over um, but but the last thing that Bonhoeffer points out, and this is where I think he really gets off, uh, gets wrong. Uh, Jesus says, let them see your good works and so glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so what are the good works? What are the good works that people are to see? Well, Bonhoeffer is very narrowly focusing in on Jesus. And Jesus' words. And part of this is because he does not believe that all scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, He does not believe in the full inspiration of scripture. 
And so by strictly focusing in on Jesus' words, he looks at the life of Christ and he says, these good works are poverty. He uses the word peregrination, which even though I am an English major, I had to look it up. And basically it means a wandering pilgrim. Uh, meekness, peaceableness, persecution, and martyrdom. So for Bonhoeffer, these are the good works. This is how you and I are salt and light. This is what you and I are called to express to the world, is poverty, this pilgrim mindset, having no attachments uh, to anything in this world, being meek, being peaceable, suffering persecution, and ultimately martyrdom itself. This is what the call of Jesus is. Now, I'd like to depart from Bonhoeffer on this, and I'd like to offer what I think is a much better answer to that question, what are the good works? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, and specifically verse 10, Paul says that you and I are raised up together with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly places. So we are united to Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. We are united to Christ. And then he goes on for the rest of the book of Ephesians, or actually beginning in chapter 4, he goes on to say, now here's what being united to Christ looks like in real life. Here's how you live out this union with Christ, which is... This salt and light. And how we live out union with Christ is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And because of time, I won't have you look up and read it, but do, or or at least turn to it, uh, so that you're sure that I'm not making stuff up. Uh, Paul says that you're not to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Now, do you hear? did you hear that light, the, the, the imagery of light there? The Gentiles are in darkness. So this is the darkness against which the light shines. And so... You, united to Christ, I'm just going to breeze forward real quick to verse 25. Therefore, having put, it, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If you truly read those verses, if you truly look at that roadmap of Christian character, then you have to, you must acknowledge, oh my goodness, this is a mountain. This is something I fail at all the time. And Jesus Christ says that is what salt is. That is what light is. So, by way of closing, young men, I think in particular, but this may be true across the spectrum, but young men in particular have a tendency to want to do something amazing. They have a tendency to want to charge, you know, do, do something glorious, world-changing, life-changing. I'm going to be part of conquering the world, changing the world. And Jesus says, change the way you talk to your wife. Change the way you talk to your neighbor. Change the way you work. <laughs> change, the, change the attitude of your heart. That is what salt and light is. And that is a really, really high mountain. So we're called to that. Obviously, we do it imperfectly. But that is the call of discipleship. Those are the good works. Uh, and, and in that, I'm departing from Bonhoeffer in identifying those good works. I'm taking it out of Paul's uh, epistle because this is all God's word. Uh, these are all the words of Jesus. And, and so uh, that's where I would want to draw our attention and, and leave it with that, is that being salt and light means the way you interact with your spouse, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, everything is flavored by the gospel. Everything reflects Jesus Christ and his work in my heart transforming me. So, I'm way over time. I apologize, sort of. Uh, sort of. <laughs> but let's close with prayer. Father, we do thank you that even as we see this high and holy calling, we see our Savior, who is our righteousness, who is our security, who is our peace our peace with you, and our peace with one another. Help us, Father, to give everything that we are into your loving hands. In Christ's name, amen.